Hello and welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Dr Craig Diel, I'm the Head of Policy and Research at Commonweal. Uh, Jonathan Shaffey, my usual co-host, is taking a week off uh, this week, but I'm very delighted to say that we have a fascinating guest speaker with us today. We have Kieran Van Sweden, the Director of the new Scottish think tank, Modern Money Scotland. Hello Kieran. Hello Craig. Hi. Um, I'm just going to leave, uh, pass straight over to you. Tell us, what is Modern Money Scotland? Who are you? So Modern Money Scotland, we just did a soft launch of our website um, quite recently. And the impetus behind it was the concern about the democratic deficit that I felt was really obvious after the last election. And then also during COVID-19, the start of lockdown, I started to hear a lot of the mainstream media start to talk about the necessity for um, post-COVID um, austerity. And that sort of really put me into a panic, actually. Mm. And I contacted other people um, who were interested in the economics of independence and said, we need to do something about this. Let's form some sort of body and do something about it. Um, unfortunately, uh, other people wanted to do something about it as well, so they're also on board with me doing this too. So, um, tell us a bit more about you know, where, where does the name come from, so Modern Money section? So, we decided to call it Modern Money Scotland because initially the website had been MMT Scotland, but we felt that we wanted to open it up to a wider range of heterodox economic thinking. Um, and see where that took us really just to try and be more broad and, and open to different ideas. I mentioned uh, modern monetary theory um, uh, a couple of podcasts ago when we did our uh, Q&A episode. Someone asked me what, what Commonweal's view on, on it was and I tried to give a 10-second a definition of what modern monetary theory was. Um, do you fancy giving, giving it your slant? Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the detractors um, have this idea that it's just it's just about printing money and, and, and that will be a disaster because Zimbabwe and the Weimar Republic, don't you know? Um, but that's not what it's about. Really what it's about is um, looking at government accounting, making the observation of how it works and describing it, and then saying, well, do deficits matter? And is, the, is it always the case that they, they are a problem? Um, and is that actually dependent on the context? You know, really at the root yeah. of it, it's saying that, you know, you can, governments can create their own money if they're monetarily sovereign, if they're running their own free floating fiat currency. They have a lot of fiscal space, more than perhaps um, a lot of the politicians that are in power really understand. So does that change the way that Scotland could view um, the, uh, its accounts right now? So say we, we had the Jers Week last week. Um, what, what has modern monetary theory got to say about that? Well, we've actually just written a paper responding to that. And I have to say on a personal level, and to my shame, it's the first time I've looked at the Jers report. Um, but I could barely tolerate looking past the first couple of pages because you know, I mean, you, you come from a science background as well. I mean, if I had brought a document like that to one of my supervisors, they would have thrown me out of their office. I mean, the, the bias is just, it's, it's just, it's not science. It's not, um, the bias is just falling off the page. Um, it's clearly a political document. It's not serious 
examination of the situation. Um, you can't compare um, Scotland with the UK. Scotland's not a, a currency issuing country. It's it's not the same as the UK. So you can't make that comparison. So to try and make those comparisons is ridiculous. Um, yeah, and that's, that's the critical thing, isn't it? You really need to be a currency issuing uni uh, country if you want to be uh, just discussing your, your annual accounts uh, with a, an MMT slant. If you're not, if, you, if you're either a region of a country like Scotland is, or potentially even if you're an independent country that doesn't have its own currency, then MMT's yeah, got less to say. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you're trying to compare California with the federal states in America. It's just not the same. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, we have written something about that on the website. Um, so, yeah, people can have a look at that if they want. And, yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the, the description to, to the podcast and uh, we'll, we'll put contact details for your website as well if people want to send feedback in. Um, so... Tamika, what, what other projects are, are coming out uh, as you're broadening out the remit in this modern monetary scope? What other policies are you looking at beyond currency? Um, so I guess that really the point of Modern Money Scotland is to try and educate people more about how modern money systems work. So we've got a lot of things. I mean, I especially have got a lot of things to write about. Um, I'm working on another article just now about orthodox economics and the problems with it. Um, but we have got paper coming out on the job guarantee and that's not ready yet. So mm -hmm. it is going to be fairly substantial and it is going to be more of a substantial um, idea of a job guarantee as opposed to some of the ideas that are coming out more recently from the TUC and um, also from the Scottish government. But they're also very restricted in that, again, Scotland is not independent. It doesn't run its own currency. It doesn't have the fiscal space that a country that has its own currency has. The yeah. other thing that I'm quite keen on, and I, the first article I wrote was about the language around money, because I think that the language around money is quite toxic, um, and it's quite toxic to our democracy. And it was an interview with Lisa Nandy just after the last election that really made me feel that. I feel that people are overly scared of the deficits and the debt and um, they see it as a household they see the country like a household or like a business and of course the country is nothing like or the uk as as a, as a whole is nothing like a business or a household i'll come back to the job guarantee in a minute but that that last comment is is quite interesting to me because i feel that the if anything could have jolted us out of that perception of what a government is there for and how it manages money. It, it surely should have been the COVID crisis. Um, a quip I made at a, a public talk recently was that if we were time travellers and we had gone back in time just 18 months and we found someone in the street and we told them, by the way, next year, the Conservative government is probably going to be paying your wages for six months. Would any of us be have believed that? Yes, I said, um, I'm sure you would be, you have been drinking, my friend. <laughs> yeah, so, so we, we, we have this situation now where even a, a Conservative government is trying absolutely unprecedented things with its budgets and with its financial space, its fiscal space. But the risk is, and we've started to see this, as you said at the, the start of our, our chat here, 
the risk is that once COVID goes away, everything goes back to normal. And now we have to go through another decade or more of crippling austerity to quote unquote pay for it. I mean, yeah, well, you know, what that's, should we do instead? Yeah, we should be doing what we, we, we should be doing as a country um, or the UK. I'm not hopeful of the UK doing that because, of course, of the present administration. Um, but, you know, for me, the most important thing that they need to be doing uh, as quickly as possible is start bringing in um, a new Green Deal or more accurately, a new green transition. Um, I certainly don't want to see people who are involved in the fossil fuel industries to be left behind the same way that the coal miners or the steel workers were when I was a teenager. So um, I think the, the, the concept of a green transition is really important to get across. So that has to happen. I mean, the planet's burning. There's a lot of work to do, an awful lot of work to do. And the government is the body that can um, bring that forward. And it has, again, the fiscal space that it could do that. We can't yeah. rely on private businesses to do that. It's not a profit model for a lot of businesses. So that's, that's misled thinking to think that the market will somehow and sort this out for us, the market. In, in fact, I've, se I've seen some articles uh, recently about um, especially the fossil fuel industry. Now, looking at the writing on the wall when it comes to the climate emergency and, and saying that they need so many millions or possibly billions of, of pounds of taxpayers' money to help them transition to a green deal to uh, avert the climate crisis, that in large part, they uh, caused while extracting trillions of pounds of wealth while, uh, while doing so. Yeah, I, you know, obviously I can't really feel very sympathetic towards that position. Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. So let's let's come back to that job guarantee. Uh, you talked a bit about it. What is it? Let's go right back to basics with this. It's something, again, I've mentioned on previous podcasts. Um, but what is a job guarantee? Okay, so the idea of it is... It, that people aren't left behind. The, the private, private industry generally tends to drop the people that are, um, again, people have different perceptions of what this is now, low skilled. But in the private sector, it's the low skilled people who are dropped first. And they are the ones that need rescued or, or looked after most quickly afterwards. The job guarantee, the idea around it is that it will be controlled very locally. So local councils, for example, community councils will be much more empowered to look at what, what is required in their vicinity, in their area. Because another important aspect of it is that people shouldn't have to necessarily move for work. That if you have a job that you've built up a whole uh, friendship of people around about you, your children go to the school, that you shouldn't have to necessarily move in order to make money. There should be an option for you locally that is fitted to your skills. The job guarantee is not to be confused with civil service jobs. And for example, when Scotland becomes independent, there, there are lots and lots of civil service jobs that need to be paid for. Um, but the job guarantee is really to transition people in between the private sector and perhaps going to another private sector job, or maybe eventually going to a civil service job. It's it's a transition job. It's not meant to be long-term. And so, also, it's meant to work around people's needs and requirements. So for example, if you have children that will work around you, 
Um, for me as a woman, it's really an important concept in that if you're a woman and you're in a job where you're being sexually abused by your employer and you're desperate to stay in that job because you need to feed your children, you'll have that option where you can leave. You will be paid a living, socially inclusive wage in the job guarantee and you will not have to put up with someone putting their hand up your skirt. So um, if we take an example, I'll use myself as an example. Say I have a, a massive fight with uh, Robin McAlpine one day and I am no longer the head of policy at Commonweal. Right now, under the current system, I would have to go down to the job centre, you know, fill out uh, all, the, all the forms there, submit myself to that system, um, possibly end up getting sucked into the, the, the whole sanction cycle if I can't keep up with their demands. And if I'm, success, if I'm lucky, uh, I might get a job at the other end of it. You're saying with a job guarantee, it would be a case of go down to my local community council and see what needs doing. Yes, yes. And the, the, the idea as well is that the community council will be working with the employment centre. So there'll be a lot of extra um, work involved in it in that people will be looking at what's required regionally, what's required locally, um, and people adding lots of skills into that as well. But really it's about also ensuring that what's required locally is done by people who are living locally as well. Mm. We want to stay local. They want to stay in their communities. They don't want to leave their communities. Um, for someone like you, to be honest, Craig, you're unlikely to be out of work for a long time. Um, you know, you'll probably be snapped up by the, by the civil service pretty quickly if you were to leave Commonweal, I would imagine, or a private, um, uh, private entity. But um, yeah, some people with less skills and again, I really want to emphasize this, this whole concept of low skilled is, I think for a lot of people now, it's a misnomer, they are understanding that. So, um, but there's a lot of work to be done. I certainly feel in the Scottish community, having lived abroad, having lived in the Netherlands, having lived in London, you know, it's clear that Scotland has been starved of infrastructure money for a long, long time. I'll just reassure listeners that no, I'm not planning on going anywhere quite, quite at this moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, the, you, you mentioned that there has been some interest in this as a policy. Um, have you seen much of it from the, the political parties? I know that there was talk of it being mentioned in the programme for government. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, it's really being aimed at young people at the moment, although I see there is also a transition policy for older people as well. Um, the TUC talked about it as well. I see that the Conservative Party have brought in something that mentions local communities, um, perhaps empowering people with work in their local communities as well. So clearly the politicians are picking up on it from somewhere. That for sure, yeah. Well, 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 we are in election season now. The manifestos are being written. Uh, we'll see which other parties uh, come up with it. So, what what's next for Modern Monetary Scotland once you've uh, once you've got the job guarantee paper out? Do you have any other proposals or plans that you're starting to look at? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we'd quite like to do a response to GERS. <laughs> that would. <laughs> That's definitely a project that one or two people within the group want to do. Um, I personally, I would love to see the, the... I was really disappointed when the Scottish Government dropped the, the plans for a post-independence uh, GERS report. 
Um, and I, I genuinely, I do understand the circumstances for it, but I also noted in the, the programme for government uh, this week that it, it doesn't seem to have been picked back up again. So I would love it if someone else uh, stepped in and, and did something similar. So I'm interested to see if, to see what that, that looks like when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Craig, Craig Berry is very interested. So is Cameron. Um, I am as well. I'd like to contribute to that too. Um, there's an awful lot that we can do. I, I mean, I have something like 20 or 30 articles sort of started um, with thoughts about economics and how it relates to Scotland. So, yeah, there's an, I've got an awful lot in my head that I want to do. Papers, yeah, there will be more papers um, coming up, definitely. We've got lots and lots of ideas. But there, it is quite time-consuming. Um, I work as well. I'm not paid to do this. It's all done in my spare time. So it will probably be a bit of a slow process, Craig, to be honest. Well, what we can say is, um, will you be looking for other people to help and, and volunteer their time with you if, if this is something that they, they want to get involved in? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, in that yeah. case, we'll leave some contact details in the description under the, the podcast and we'll get folk to, to get in touch. Uh, yeah. where, can, where can we find you? www.modernmoney.scot and there's a, you can email us from the website uh, we've got quite a lot of followers followers already so that's that's fantastic our um following on twitter's building so yeah that's that's nice it's really nice so i think i think that shows there is an appetite for knowledge about this i mean i certainly felt this as um, you'll see on that i am convener of leith smp and yes edinburgh north leith and I felt that amongst the movement, there was a lot of appetite to know more about this. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I felt it was kind of my duty to go off and, and get that knowledge and then bring it back. And now I feel ready to talk about it. After a couple of years, I've really been reading and studying about um, modern monetary theory and other more heterodox economic thinking since probably summer 2018, just after the Growth Commission was mentioned. I could see there was a lot of concern about it. I didn't really understand what that was. So I went off and, and started to learn about economics then. And that's also kind of the precursor to this as well. Although I never imagined at that time that it would lead to, to a think tank. I think the urgency has come with COVID-19 and this talk of post-COVID austerity. And austerity has killed so many people already and it's killing people still because there wasn't enough money spent to prepare for this. And, uh, you know, you'll probably know this again, coming from a science community, that it was well known for a long time that a pandemic was overdue. We knew that this was on the way. It's, it wasn't a secret. So the lack of prepared, preparedness from the UK government over this is another reason why people are dying because of austerity. Yeah, certainly it's something that we've uh, noted in some of our articles and policy papers is that the UK had, actively war-gamed um, pandemic scenarios and it showed a lot of the weaknesses mm -hmm. uh, in, in the UK systems that, and in the Scottish systems that just weren't corrected afterwards and those same weaknesses have shown themselves when it happened for real. Yes, yes and the, the private health, the, 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 the healthcare sector has been so fragmented in England um, and it's such it's such a bad way to go, obviously. Um, you know, my dissertation was on hip arthroplasty, and I thought, 
the, the best place to look would be America. Yay, they've got 300 million people. But actually, you can't get good data from America because all the healthcare is split up. It's not joined up like the National Health Service. The National Health Service had the best data. So did Australia and so did um, the Netherlands as well. So, um, yeah, that, that lack of joined upness. And then that's also a problem in the care sector here as well that is also disjointed. There, there's bad data. You can't do research. You can't improve. You can't have evidence-led um, improvements with, without the data. Yeah. Again, that's uh, something that... <coughs> That's something that I've been uh, rattling on about for years now, is, uh, yeah. the, especially in Scotland, <laughs> the, the death of statistical data. Uh, yeah. you, you simply, you cannot make policy unless you know what you're looking at. And once you have made policy, if you're not measuring it, you, you never know if it's going to be successful. Yes, yes, yeah. Observations, data, analyze it. Yeah, all of these things, um, they, it needs to happen in order for us to improve our society for everyone. What you're saying is we need more scientists in politics. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. I mean, it is. It was something I think I read years ago, um, and maybe in National Geographic or something, that they were complaining there was too many. There were too many um, uh, lawyers in the Senate and in, in the House. So I think that is something you do have to watch with your democracy that you have a good mix of people in there, and you don't veer to what too much towards the same professions all the time and you're with your politicians that you've got a good mix of, of people in there well that's something to look forward to for next year as we go into the scottish hollywood um elections because there, there will be a, a large number of new candidates standing in the various seats for you know, um, many of the parties so something that i'm going to be taking an interest in looking at how, how that mix of profession and experience in the parliament might change yeah, I have to um, admit that I've put myself forward for vetting um, with the SNP. Um, so we'll see if that happens or not. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. I will be campaigning for Scottish independence anyway. Well, as a as a member um, with Modern Money Scotland, um, yeah, that's that's that is my mission now since um, for the past four years really. So um, wh whatever form it takes, it's all fine. I will be working towards Scottish independence as you are. Yeah, were you heartened to see the, the announcement that we're going to get a draft independence bill before the end of the parliament, before the elections? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There are a lot of good things in that program for government, and there was there was quite a lot I was heartened by. There's things that concern me, and you know you do have to see more of the detail. But we'll, we'll keep, we need to keep an eye on that. We all need to keep an eye on that. Yeah. And I and should I, say that I, I've just published uh, an article with uh, with Source looking at uh, reviewing the programme for government. And uh, the gist of it is that in a great number of places, the Scottish government isn't going as far as uh, I would like to see them go. Um, I, I do start the article by saying I'm almost contractually obligated to say that, being a progressive think tank. But my concern is that they're not even going as far as can they uh, as they need to go to achieve their own goals. But um, I'll also link to that article and folk can read that as well and form their opinions on what I have to say. Yeah, I think the, the thing about think tanks like um, Modern Money Scotland and Common Wheel, it's all about pushing at the Overton yeah. window, isn't it? You know, that's, that's our function. Um, we have to keep pushing at that Overton window and eventually it gets opened. Um, and, you know, we certainly, you know, you see that um, 
happening over time. Certainly, you know, I've I've observed. I'm I'm not early fifties now, so um, yeah, things. I mean, oh my God, Scotland. When I was a teenager, you know, gay people uh, it was a different world for gay people then, and now it's it's so different, you know. So huge changes like that um, happen, and when people say they don't, it's just they're they're not observing what's going on, or they're not looking back in history. So. Yeah, that's, that's our function, isn't it? We've got to keep pushing at those Overton windows. Well, Karen, that's been a, a great chat. Would you like to just tell everyone again where uh, your website is? Yeah, we are www.modernmoney.scot. So, yeah, you can find us at Modern Money Scott on Twitter as well. And we have a couple of pages on Facebook as well. So. And- and I'll put a link to the website in the description below this podcast. And the last thing I have to say as we round up every show on this podcast is just to say that Commonweal, as an organisation, we are completely funded by our listeners and our supporters. We don't have the the, the, the big money backers keeping us going. Um, so I know things are difficult just now, but if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy our policy work, if you enjoy how we interact with our compatriot organisations throughout Scotland, then please consider supporting us. And from me and from Cairn, uh, goodbye, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Craig.